Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. Psalms 31.5 Welcome to the Into Your Hand podcast with Brendan and Wesley. Today we are discussing the Sabbath School Bible Study for December 12th. This quarter is entitled Education. This week's lesson is entitled The Christian and Work. The memory verse this week is 1 Corinthians 15.58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. A special thank you to Fountain View Academy for giving us permission to share their music ministry with you. Links to Fountain View Academy are in the description. God bless you all. No language my rapture can tell I know that the light of His presence With me doth continually dwell Redeemed, redeemed Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb Redeemed how I love to proclaim it His child and forever I His love is the theme of my song. His love is the theme of my song. His love is the theme of my song. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, His child and forever I Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and this blessings that you've provided for us. Lord, we desperately need you in our lives. 
the world needs to see love and kindness and joy and peace in these troubled times. Lord, we know Jesus is coming soon, but Lord, we need Jesus now in our hearts and minds. And we ask that your Holy Spirit dwell in our hearts and remove the darkness. May our free will choose you each day, moment by moment, to be in our lives. Change us, renew us, bring us peace and hope. May we be ready when Jesus comes again. I'll be with this lesson. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Christian and work. Let's uh, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58 again. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When we think about work, what often comes to mind is Adam and Eve, when they were caring for the animals and the garden. God gave them specific tasks. And it's important to note that all of this happened before sin. Sometimes we're tempted to think of work as a type of penalty or a burden that's placed upon us. But in fact, it's a privilege. It's an opportunity to grow physically. It's an opportunity to release stress mentally and to bond with each other as we work together for God's ideal. Things changed when sin entered the lives of Adam and Eve, when they were banished from the garden. The toil of Adam's hand became great. Working of the soil, which was once a task of happiness, of fulfillment, became one of necessity and of great struggle. So things changed in the world when sin entered the world, when sin entered humanity. Among the Jews, the lesson said that if a father did not teach his child a trade, then the father was raising a criminal. Uh, that's an interesting way of putting it. But each of us not only needs a, an education of the mind, but also one of the hands. Many times in my life, I have reverted to those manual skills, or even those skills that weren't necessarily uh, heavy labor, but involved a physical element. I've done filmmaking and photography and all sorts of different types of trades and crafts. The degree that I studied in university of business has come in handy now and then, but those things that I learned when I was young and I had interest in have been very valuable to me. So when we're raising our children, it's good to teach them the value of work and not only place them in spheres in which they can learn intellectually, but they can also develop their talents, their skills, their interests, so that they have things to fall back on, or maybe not even fall back on, but develop into a business of their own. We should still develop those skills that we have in our capacity that God has given us or inspired us to walk towards because they can be of great value. And also, I think of the ministry that we are in that may that's probably different for each one of us. You may be a pastor, or a layman, a deacon, an elder, or have some other type of ministry that, that you're doing for people that you know, an online ministry. And we think of the work of Paul. Paul did a tremendous work in establishing and maintaining churches throughout Asia. And how did Paul take care of himself? He was a tent maker. So I like those verses that Paul brings to light. Do I deserve your support? 
I do, but I'm not going to lay that burden upon you. I'm not going to require things of you. I'm going to take care of myself through my trade, and I'm going to minister to you. And I think that's a wonderful position that he took. And it's one that I think that I'd like to keep in my life, maintain myself so I'm not a burden to others and still minister to others. Sometimes that's difficult depending on you know where you live and your resources and stuff like that. But for the most part, I think we should be responsible Christians who take care of ourselves and our families and engage in ministry. What do you have to add for Sabbath's lesson, Wesley? In the first lesson of this quarter, we talked about the education in the garden. And I think we talked about how when Adam and Eve sinned and uh, did not trust God enough uh, and ate the fruit, their toil increased because they had new things to learn. They were on a different plane now, and we have a lot more to learn to increase where we are spiritually. We are supposed to get up to uh, where we were before, and we're much farther away. So our labor and our work is a sort of education. There's something we need to learn in all of this. And uh, the toils of life is part of our education to spiritually uplift us. On Sunday's lesson, uh, we have our Bible text. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. How do you think the toil of our life is a gift of God? Well, I think that as far as our skills and talents are concerned, it's the type of refinement. Uh, sometimes if the work is difficult or if the study is really intense, it can be a sort of refiner's fire, not in the spiritual sense, but in regards to what we know and what we can do. But even though that being said, it's a talent or a skill that we're developing, later on we can use that in service of God. It can be both our income generating employment, or it could also be used as something that we use in ministry. So Solomon had a lot of wisdom because uh, God gave it to him, and he was so well known for that wisdom that people from all over the world came to see him. But because of his alliances with other nations, it drew him away. The wives that he had, they drew him away from God. And later in his life, he realized the mistakes that he'd made and repented of those. So what skills we are given, we, we really need to use them for the kingdom. It's good to use them to maintain our livelihoods, but also use them for the kingdom of God. So that I think of that toil in that verse, it says they find satisfaction in their toil. This is a gift of God, that that is a sort of refinement under uh, at least a, a temporal difficulty. Uh, Brendan, so um, it says here, find satisfaction in all their toil. Um, so I'm going to work really hard in my toil and I'm going to get a lot of money and that's my satisfaction. Is that? No, that's, that not, that's not what it's saying. It's finding satisfaction in the toil, in the process of learning. So just as mm -hmm. we, just in the same sense, 
of spiritual things, going from a state of drinking milk to meat, metaphorically speaking, going from the simple things of the word to the greater understanding of the word. We do the same type of process when it comes to learning other skills and developing talents. And there is satisfaction in that because you can see where you started from, a state of not understanding much, if anything, to a state of having a a tremendous skill that you can utilize. I don't know if you have had experience with maybe metalwork or carpentry, but in academy and also in university, I had some classes in metalworking and carpentry that were really uh, satisfying. And it wasn't easy work. I had burned fingers from sanding wood smooth so many days. (laughs) I made a beautiful table, made other types of things in woodworking class. So even though it was difficult, And even though there were splinters and injuries, by the end of it, it was satisfying because I had developed a skill. And that type of difficulty that we face when learning, it's a pleasant thing to do. Let me give you two examples and you let me know uh, how to deal with this. You're saying there's kind of a joy in the journey. Yes. So um, I want to understand the Bible, but I don't want to spend any time like, you know, going through it verse by verse is just a toil and a just just give me the cliff notes version of it or another analogy uh would be like i really like that food but i don't want to take the time to make it that's the antithesis of what we're talking about that's the opposite of what we're talking about that's not finding satisfaction in the toil and avoiding it altogether so when you haven't worked through things uh, in and of yourself to understand them your acceptance of them is very shallow So if there is a doctrine that you are presented with, but you don't take the time to open the word, to look at each verse that supports it, to look at some of the verses that seemingly don't support it, but you can come to a better understanding of them when you understand the fullness of the word in the language, history, and context, you haven't really eaten the word. It it isn't really sweet to your stomach. It might be sweet to your mouth, but it's bitter in your stomach because it hasn't found its fullness in the toil of you digging into each scripture that supports it. But when you fully understand it and you fully accept it, it becomes part of who you are. You grow because of that. That's just like, you know, your analogy with the good meal. You may enjoy it, but if you can't replicate it, it's not going to be part of your diet. And we need both physically, spiritually, and mentally healthy food to eat. It's important that each one of us spend the time to read the scriptures and to eat the word and for that to become part of our living and holistic being. I would say, uh, to add what you're saying there, I think we can look at it as this toil is something that we need experience in. As parents, we need to teach our children to go through the scriptures and have that toil be a habit so it's no longer a toil anymore. It's something they have so much experience with that it's not a toil anymore. It's like, yeah, I've done that. I can do that. I've did it so many times. That toil, experience with that toil makes it easier every time. It would be a godly to teach them to go through this, to go through the toil, to explain it, to have that experience. That's true. Um, Definitely the next generation needs to know that the vista of the summit of each mountain requires the hike up the hill. And it's not something to 
avoid. And as teachers and parents, we have to help the children up the hill many times so that they can get up the hill comfortably on their own. Yes. We need to develop in the youth that sense that it is not, even though it's a toil in that it takes effort, it's not something to be avoided. It's something to be engaged with and in because the end result is always worth it. And the process is one of strengthening. I know from my own personal experience that, you know, there's something I don't really like to do, but the more I do it, the more comfortable I am at doing it. And I have that experience. It was toilsome, but now the experience that I have has made it no longer such a burden. And going through that toil is something that is no longer really considered a toil anymore. I want to ask you uh, and talk about the bottom of Sunday's lesson. Um, I think we need to look at Genesis 3.19. It says, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken. For you are dust and for, to dust you shall return. Um, I think, you know, some people may look at this text and say it's like a curse, but I think it may be that God is not cursing here, but he's just saying that he's just prescribing. He's just like looking at what's going to happen. And is like, this is what's going to happen to you. I've always taken it in that air that it's not something that he's placing upon humanity. He's saying it's the result of the sin that you have engaged in. You've given dominion of earth to Satan because of your sin. And so this is the natural result of that. Right. On the bottom of Sunday's lesson, it says, uh, what do you do? What are you doing with your life? And how can you better glorify the Lord by doing it? And my comment to that would be that I'm a teacher and being, a, you know, doing your job halfway or not completely is not of the Lord. Uh, we should do our work well. Any work that's worth doing is worth doing well, correct? And yes. so I feel in my own job as a teacher, I should do my work better. And uh, I mean, in the field that we're in, the field that I'm in as a teacher, there's always going to be little petty complaints by people. But overall, the there shouldn't be, you know, why isn't this done or something like that. Uh, things need to be done on time. And uh, I need to glorify the Lord by maybe being done first. Glorifying the Lord also in doing work is staying connected to God throughout the day. I dealt with this actually in high school. In high school is when I really met the Lord for the first time, really seriously. And I remember telling my mom, okay, mom, no, 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 I'm going to walk to school today. I was trying to keep my mind on the Lord the whole way to school. Praying was a part of that. And when I reached the door of the school, I would open the door and then when school ended, I would go out the door. And when I reached the road, which was, you know, 30 feet from the door, when I reached the road, I'd be like, I hadn't thought about God since I touched that door eight hours before. And it like really upset me. And then I would be praying all the way back home when I was walking home. How can we remember God more throughout the day? I, I think a pastor told me one time, oh, you just rely on the Holy Spirit during those times. And I'm like, maybe, but that doesn't sound like a satisfactory answer. So I wonder, like, am I in, was I in the wrong field 
should I have gone to a different school that involved, uh, you know, scriptures during the day? Were you attending a Christian school? No. That's an important point to bring up. When we're raising the next generation, if our children are so immersed in a public school or an environment that is completely secular, then it's their natural inclination to adopt those types of ideas as their philosophy of living. So even though it's financially difficult, if we can put our children into schools that have a Christian environment, then when they touch that door and they go inside, they're exposed to other students who are interested in Bible studies, praying together or supporting each other. There's a kindness in the atmosphere. The teachers also, they start class with prayer. There might be Bible classes themselves in the school. So there's a lot of value, a lot of eternal value that, that the children can experience in a Christian school. What you're saying, though, begs the question then, like if you're going to a public school and that environment and that atmosphere is not good and, you know, you're not able to think about God during the day until you get out, like like my experience. What does that say about our employment if we're entering our workplace and we don't remember God until we get out? There's definitely a difference between a child and an adult. There's an age of accountability. And when it comes to the next generation, we need to take every opportunity to give them an advantage in growing in faith in their early years so that when they do become adults and they do enter a work environment that is filled with a lot of secular people or people of different faiths, then they have that strong beginning that they started with and they matured from milk to meat as they grew up. And now when they're with their coworkers, they're able to share more freely and confidently because they have an understanding that is gone through the toil, the labor of digging and knowing and eating the word of God. There's one other thing on Sunday's lesson that I'd like to bring up. And it's, it's just uh, right in the middle. It says, give a teenager a job. Now, child labor is frowned upon, but I think that kids do need work. They need work in their homes, and then they need work in their school. And later on, at an appropriate age, they should get a part-time job or start their own business because that teaches real application. It, it teaches various things. But when I was in academy, I went to Maxwell Adventist Academy just outside of Nairobi, Kenya, and we were required to have a job. We started school there when we were 14, and we ended when we were 18. And they required us each to have a job on the campus. At first, I was very annoyed by that. But looking back on it, I think it's valuable because we learned to apply ourselves to the work. We learned to do a good job. We learned to deal with our coworkers. We learned to talk respectfully with our supervisor and talk respectfully with our supervisor and live up to a standard, a certain work standard, because they were expecting a certain level of quality. It was also valuable because uh, we were supporting ourselves somewhat. It didn't go to pay our bill completely. But when we worked, that money went onto our account. So we had a sense of ownership of our education. And also it was upholding the institution, upholding the Christian school. So they didn't have to hire people from outside for these positions. Like, for instance, my first year I did landscaping. 
My second year, I worked in the library as a librarian. And the third year, I worked in the guest house, cleaning the guest house, doing the bedding, making the bed, making sure that the guest house was set for uh, parents and visitors who would visit the campus and they needed a place to stay. So those jobs that I had taught me to do a good job, to be responsible, to care about quality, and they were a real value. So when kids are only dropped into this sphere of you have to be educated and nothing is required of you, they become irresponsible and lazy. And in the end, it affects their academic work as well. They expect things to be given to them instead of for them to provide things for others. And really, that's the essence of what an adult is. It's not just to know, not only to do, but it's to realize that you're part of something bigger and that you have to live up to a standard. You have to take care of yourself. So all of those things are really valuable. And I think that each child needs to start with work in the home and have chores to do. I agree with that. I try to get my kids to do as much as I can. It's really good that they, and I think you're right, they make them lazy when they don't do anything. Um, on the Monday's lesson, we have four texts talking about the workings of our hands. Deuteronomy 16.15 reads, Seven days you shall celebrate a feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 reads, Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Shol where you are going. Proverbs 21 verse 25 reads, The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. Jeremiah 1.16 reads, I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. The work of our hands. Uh, these texts talk about that. And the lesson says, while the work of our hands is God's blessings to us and allows us to live a meaningful life, ulti God's ultimate plan is the work of our hands would bless others. And uh, yeah, that's true. And I think as a teacher, we kind of get a small sense that we're helping people in our, our jobs. And we should always have that kind of service feeling that uh, we're helping others. Uh, the bottom of the lesson says, what, are, what ways might you be able to use your work to be more of a blessing to others? Do you have any answer to that question? Well, I think that the mission work that I've had the opportunity to engage in in the past has been a blessing in various ways, whether it be at the orphanage or the small projects that my wife and I did with Donorcy, helping those that were impoverished, helping kids to get into a Christian school, helping the handicapped, and also the larger projects that in the past I've worked with ADRA, with water projects and other various development projects in Tanzania. And definitely the work of our hands is a blessing from God. And we do find fulfillment and joy in that. Some years ago, back in 2000, I was working as a task force worker for the Michigan Conference in Northern Michigan at Camp Osobel. And I spent one year up there helping out. And it's a church camp and the kids come in the summertime and learn about nature and God and 
have a great time with fun activities. And then during the year, um, when it's not summertime, various groups from churches come up there to Campus Obel and have a retreat, either for the weekend or during the week sometimes. So it was a great opportunity to serve church members and young people in that capacity. But while there, I had an idea to open up a section of the camp that was previously cut off. There was an upper lake where there was a beautiful spring, but there were very few trails that led up there, and those trails didn't really have a very good view. So I wrote up a little proposal to install a bird observatory and build it into the treetops. So I designed it and then proposed it to the board members, and they approved it. So it was a lot of work to get all of the wood and materials way out into the forest above that lake. But I spent many a day out there dragging boards through the forest and eventually built this observation deck that could hold about about 15 adults. There were some benches, and then I put a, a box on one of the trees that had some binoculars in there. And so it was a blessing to people and has been for the last 20 years that they could see part of nature that was once pretty much cut off to them. Part of the camp that had a lot of bird life and beavers and all sorts of nature that was really beautiful and a testimony to God's creation. Whatever our hand finds to do, we should do it with all our might. But we should make sure that what we're doing is something that glorifies God and uplifts those around us. Cool. What about your job now? My job now, I'm able to share with the kids my faith now and then, talking about God, talking about creation, the flood, fossils, the natural cycle, because one of our classes is science. So I'm able to talk about that. And also, I have a book series that I'm having them doing listening exercises with, and it's called Stories from Grandma's Attic. It was a book that my third grade teacher at Forest Lake Elementary Educational Center would read to us. And the book is about a granddaughter and a grandmother. And as the granddaughter is living with her grandmother, there are little things in her home that she asks her grandmother about. And behind these little objects, the grandmother has a story. And she tells about her childhood. Sometimes the stories are funny, but they always have a good lesson, something of faith or morality or ethics. She tells these stories to her granddaughter. So I use these as listening exercises with the kids. So the kids listen to the story. It might be eight to 10 minutes long. Then I give the kids a quiz about that chapter in the book. So they're getting to know the characters really well, and they're gleaning lessons from those stories. So I'm combining both the academic and the social, helping them to grow in faith in part. It's going to take a lot for them to make that leap, but at least they have the exposure to a Christian teacher who cares for them and really engages with them in different capacities. Um, I think you're doing an amazing job by what you've told me. Even if, even if you can't get that stuff in the classroom as often as you'd like, I think you're doing a great job. It's really, I don't know how to bring a lot of uh, faith-based things subtly into my classroom. And uh, I've thought on and off about getting to a more Christian situation where I am more free to read Bible text and talk about God and stuff. 
I understand what you're saying. Like I have a Christian teacher. My classroom is all love-based, no jealousy and envy and stuff like that. We want to focus on caring for each other and having a, a God's love sort of classroom. But I feel apprehension to bring up God specifically or maybe um, creation in some cases for fear that, you know, I could lose students or something or the parents would be upset about it. I know some of my students, it's interesting, some of my students talk about God more than I do. Um, I, I applaud your, your ability, initiative, and creativity to get them into the classroom. Periodically, I've, I've thought about, you know, jumping over to a Christian situation because I want to be able to do more to share the gospel with these kids and these students and stuff because I don't feel like I'm doing enough now. But I'm sure the way I run my classroom has an impact in some ways. The students appreciate my efforts, some of my efforts, for sure. Mm -hmm. One thing that we should remember that God's ultimate plan is that the works of our hands bless others. And so when we find an avenue that we can bless others, then our prayer should be like Nehemiah's simple prayer, where he said in Nehemiah 6, 9, now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So when we're working together with God, he is right by our side. He is there to strengthen us when we are doing his will. And it is a blessing to others. Let's move ahead to Tuesday's lesson. Exodus 25, 23 to 30 reads, You shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long and one cubit wide and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a gold border around it. You shall make for it a rim of a handbreadth around it, and you shall make a gold border for the rim around it. You shall make four gold rings for it and put rings on the four corners which are on its four feet. The rings shall be closed to the rim as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, so that with them and the table may be carried. You shall make it you shall make its dishes and its pans and its jars and its bowls with which to pour drink offerings, you shall make them of pure gold. You shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. The focus of Tuesday's lesson can be summed up with the quote that they have there with God sloppy work is not accepted. And also the last paragraph says, thus being fallen, sinful humans is not a valid excuse for treating any task with anything less than utmost dedication. God expects us always to perform at our best, putting our talents, skills, time, and education to good use for great causes. And I think that's true. And I think I've talked about that in passing before, that we should do the best we can in the jobs that we are. We shouldn't right. be slacking. Uh, yeah, we shouldn't do that at all. We need to be really focused and, and diligent in our work. Do you have anything else to add for Tuesday's lesson? Yeah, so Tuesday's lesson has to do with building the temple, and God gives very detailed point-by-point -point instructions. And those points are, those instructions are so detailed because of the reason and the symbolism behind portions of the temple service. 
those things within the temple service, the altar, the candlestick, the incense, the ark, the most holy place, all of those things are symbols of the plan of salvation and how Christ is the center of all of this. They show us the purpose in his way of salvation. It also shows the glory of God in that place. And remember, above the tabernacle was the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire by night. So everything of that service had a purpose. It was symbolic and it was pointing to Christ. So just as the people of Israel took sacrifice there in hope of the coming Messiah, we look back at the Messiah who came. And we need to give our lives as a living sacrifice. When we talk about the toil of our hands and the work and the skills, let us put it all into his hands. And may that be our sacrifice. He wants our confession. He wants repentance. He wants to heal us from the sins that we've engaged in and lead us in a perfect life from this point forward. But we are to establish his kingdom starting right now. We are to reach out to those in need, just as Christ did and we're to reach those with the word. So it's really important to study the tabernacle and how it was part, the central part of the, the camp for the people of Israel. And we need to keep Christ as a center of our lives and our families. Let's move ahead to Wednesday's lesson. Galatians 5, 22 to 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. The Sabbath school lesson tells a story of a patient dying at Florida hospital and the friend was by the side of the dying patient and nurses moved in and out of the room caring for the patient's needs seeking to keep the conversation moving the friend asked the nurses where they had their training many had said that they were educated at Florida Hospital College this made a big impression on the friend he then subsequently made several visits to Florida Hospital College to see what it was like. Why? Because he had told people that the nurses trained at this school seemed to, to him to cons constantly give more tender loving care to his dying friend than did those nurses who had been trained elsewhere. He was able to see a big difference between them and others in regard to their attitude toward his dying friend. Thus, he asked many questions about the college and its mission, and eventually he signed a gift of $100,000 to educate more nurses, such as those who had seen in action. And so this lesson is about our influence, and the influences of those nurses was uh, very powerful to him, and so much so that he gave a gift. And we all make an impression, and the Sabbath school lesson says it the bottom ask us the question how do you manifest your own spirituality in the day-to-day -day task of your life what kind of impression do you think you make and I think we've been talking about that uh, in our classrooms and, and how we're living and 
in the history that you were telling, um, we do make an impression and we need to be very cognitive of that and be very careful and um, have the spirit living in us. When we don't stay connected to Christ, over time, it has an effect. And, and the reason, what I want to give an example of is, I remember one time something in the afternoon had happened and, and I felt spiritually had gone off the rails. And a few hours later, I had gotten like upset at my son's. And I thought about that episode an hour or so later, and I realized that in the moment that I was unhappy with my sons, that's not where the problem started. The problem had started hours before. So when we get off our the spiritual straight and narrow, it's going to have an impact not just that moment that we get off the rails, off the short, straight and narrow, but hours later, days later, there's going to be an impact. And maybe we treat someone harshly that we shouldn't. Maybe we lose our temper. Something is going to happen. And, it, and it's, does it, it's not something that happened that moment. It's something that goes back to when we got off the straight and narrow. So I, I think we make an impression all the time. And the point of my story is stay on the straight and narrow and and maybe that anger or that uh, unkind word or that impatience is going to be kept in check and won't come. We need to stay on the straight and narrow, continually uh, surrendering our lives to Christ throughout as often as possible throughout the day, remembering, uh, especially first thing in the morning, when you wait, when we wake up, uh, surrender to Christ the whole day and your plans for that day and have Christ be with them. Uh, do you have yeah. anything for Wednesday's lesson? Well, just a couple of points. I like uh, the lesson brings out. Christianity creates a new being who manifests himself or herself in every dimension of life, including work. Uh, one who manifests the fruits of the spirit in his own way. So it's interesting that they were bringing up a story from Florida Hospital because my father worked at Florida Hospital for a time and he ran a division of the hospital that dealt in the sale of equipment for the elderly, such as uh, chairs that lift the elderly or certain types of walkers or all, all manner of equipment that were to help the elderly. So just brought to mind his work there and uh, and how he would help people in that capacity. And later on, he started his own business and also dealt in products for the elderly. And usually on Sabbath afternoons, we would go to a nursing home in the Apopka area. It's a, an area just outside of Orlando. And we would sing for those people in the nursing homes, and they really enjoyed that. Let's move on to Thursday's lesson. Thursday's lesson is about stewardship. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 reads, Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Shol where you are going. We need to remember that our stewardship 
involves everything, our time, our energies, our talents, in developing our talents, learning new talents, not wasting our time. It involves all of those things. And uh, the question at the bottom, ask yourself if you do indeed compartmentalize your spiritual life. The lesson brings out that there's work life, family life, spiritual life, leisure life, and how we separate, we often separate these times and we don't bring them together. Um, and I think we all kind of do that. Um, I, I know I somewhat do that a lot. If you do, how can you learn to let spiritual reign in all that we do? We need to have our relationship with Christ involved in our work life, in our family life, and also we need to have leisure life, but I think our leisure life should be more exercise-based, uh, not necessarily doing nothing-based. I know leisure life oftentimes includes things we don't need to learn. I think leisure life should include exercise and reading the Bible uh, should be our leisure life. Uh, I know I can lose some weight. I should lose some weight myself. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. And in some versions, do it with all your might. What should we do? We were talking about this throughout the lesson, that the ministry and the mission that God sets before us, that our talents and our skills and our knowledge can be applied to, should be engaged in, no matter what the toil is, because that's part of the refinement of our character. So we should do what we can, for who we can, however we can, for as long as we can, as the Spirit leads us. And Wes, you're right, that our talents, our stewardship for the church, for others, should be far more than just money. The talents that we apply, the truth that we know, the testimony that we share, and the acts of service that we give for those in need, it's all a type of stewardship. It's all a type of giving that is very important. Isn't stewardship actually kind of like being responsible, being responsible in a right manner with the assets that we have that God can use? Yes, I was just about to say that. One line that I've underlined in the lesson that I really like is where it says, stewardship refers to management's responsibility to develop and utilize properly all available resources. Now that applies to each of us as a Christian, and it really needs to apply to our church as a whole. So those departments of our church need to properly utilize each of the resources for the ministry. And Christ even gave uh, an example of this, a parable about this, about the unfaithful steward and how he was shrewd and using it for his own gain. And he was condemning the Pharisees because of how they utilized the temple funds. I just think the, the summary of the entire lesson is 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. Yeah, our, our Christian work, that whatever we do, our Christian work grows out of fellowship and work with God. 
So that's always something to remember. You were talking about, you know, spirituality being integrated into our lives in a holistic way. Are we to segment our lives? Is this my love life, my work life, my school life? Is this how I act when I'm driving? We should not be different people at different times of our lives. We might utilize a different skill set or talent in a different environment, but our face needs to shine through it all. Everything in life is spiritual, and we need to act in a way that is faithful to God and to others at all times, no matter the environment. You had some additional things to talk about at the end of the lesson? Oh, yes. Um, we have a lot of questions uh, the lesson provides for us to think about. The first one I'd like to read is Ecclesiastes 2, 18 to 24. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the men who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days his task is painful and grievous. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. In verse 24, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. The lesson asks, how can Solomon consider work both a blessing and a curse in the same section of the Bible? What are hints in the text about what can be, make the difference in how we approach our work? Do you have any ideas about that? From my experience, those things that are laborious, that do not lead to a good end result, can often feel like vanity. What was the point of that if it, if it leads to nothing? But mm -hmm. I think he's wrong in that point in that it develops your character and your skill further. Something may not be appreciated or you may not achieve your end goal, but even in failure, you're able to learn one more way not to do it wrong. So Edison was famous for that invention and hard work in that he tried again and again. Those in his lab, he himself uh, really worked hard in developing various inventions and met with continual failure until success. There's that phrase, I always find it the last place I look. Well, of course you do, because you wouldn't keep looking after you found it. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, that's really the case. If you've tried 99 times wrong, you know 99 times how not to do it. And you are closer and closer to your goal. And that same principle could really be applied to a lot of things in work and life, even in relationships. You messed up this way, don't do that again. Try better next time. Even in faith, how many times have you fallen and skinned your knees? How many times have you gotten down on those same knees and prayed a prayer of confession, repentance, and then were lifted up by God's own hand? He cares for us in all sorts of ways. He really cares about the work that we engage in. He wants to see us succeed in it, and he wants to use it for kingdom building wherever possible. Oh, great. Uh, there's more questions here. Um, 
uh, if we look at Ecclesiastes 2.23 one more time, because all his days his task is painful and grievous, even at night his mind does not rest, this too is vanity. The line between doing an excellent job and being a workaholic is sometimes a fine one. How do we keep from crossing that line, Brendan? Well, it brings to mind one of my coworkers who's dealing with insomnia. That text may be talking about laying in your bed and not finding that satisfaction. It may not be talking about the work itself, but having anguish about the work. Those things that we engage in sometimes can preoccupy our minds to the point of restlessness. So we need balance in our lives as well. We can't stay at work until one o'clock in the morning working on something and then the next morning be exhausted, neglecting our families or whatnot. We need to have a balance in our faith and our work and use all for the glory of God, but realize that we are human and we do need rest. We need nutrition, we need exercise, we need rest, we need rejuvenation, we need fellowship. All of those things are important. There's a quote from Patriarchs and Prophets from page 60. It says, it was a discipline rendered needful by his sin to place a check upon the indulgence of appetite and passion, to develop habits of self-control. It was a part of God's great plan for man's recovery from the ruin and degradation of sin. That's what work really is, that it is a lesson in moderation and application. We develop our skills, but really it's our place in understanding that we need to do not just know but to do to help to grow in that fashion second thessalonians 3:10 for even when we were with you we used to give you this order if anyone is not willing to work then he is not to eat either what should we take from this text today i love that verse because it draws me right back to the illustration i gave earlier in today's lesson concerning Paul and his way of ministry and dealing with those in the church. Yes, he deserved the support, but he did not require the support, he did not ask for the support, he took care of himself. And even those that were in the membership that did not work did not deserve to even eat. So we can see that there is a level of responsibility. It's one thing to be compassionate and to help others in need. It's something, it's detrimental to give to those who refuse to be part of the living church of God because they are really acting in a capacity that is parasitic. Those types of people right. need gentle discipline and they need to be brought in line with an understanding of the word then they need to be given the inspiration and the means and the responsibilities to be active in the church and to do work. All right, very good. Uh, I love everything you're saying. Uh, what if we swapped out the word work from our vocabulary and instead inserted the word service for God every time we talked about our jobs? How would our attitudes possibly change? Well, I would hope that we would see it not as laborious as it is and see it as an opportunity of showing our faith and growing in faith. So as we've talked about, we can integrate our faith with how we deal with our coworkers, our students, or if you're in another capacity, that you are able to share 
in a way now and then maybe that helps the people around you understand your faith and what makes you different and be attracted to Christianity. Amen. Last question from the teacher's comments. Do you look forward to the new heaven and new earth as much knowing that work will be a part of our eternal existence? Why or why not? Well, that's an interesting comment or interesting question rather. Um, Are there those that envision heaven as simply lazy bliss? There possibly are those. I see it as a time of the grand revelation of Christ's intention from the beginning, seeing the marvel of the beauty of nature untainted by sin, seeing the expansiveness of what God has created beyond what we know, understanding the intricacies beyond any current human level of understanding to the creation that we have been exposed to, seeing the marvel of God and the praises of his people and the glory given to him for what he did on the cross as we are all gathered together, and then given whatever mission or task that he has at hand for us to enjoy as we enjoy eternity with him in this earth made new and exploring all of the unknown. So work both now and in the future is something to be valued right now for our sustainability, for sustaining our families and sustenance and all of the necessities of life, as well as growing in talents and skills and also sharing with those in the workplace. And then in the earth made new and our travels around distant planets and and so on, it'll be a marvelous experience that it's hard to imagine right now. But I'm sure that what God has in store will be a benefit for all mankind. Let's bow our heads and have closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work that you've placed in our lives. We thank you for how you uphold us and our families, that you put food on our tables, that we have a warm bed to sleep in at night. We thank you for all of the tasks that we have to do, even those that are difficult, the hours that we put in. We thank you for maintaining our health through these times of long hours. And we thank you for the opportunity to share with coworkers, with students now and then about you, about your creation, about principles in the Bible, in whatever capacity we have, we ask you to shine through us. We ask your Holy Spirit to live within and for our words and our actions and the meditations of our heart to be wholly yours. We look forward to your second coming. We look forward to whatever the work that you have for us in the future may entail. We are looking forward to that day that we can stand by the glassy sea and give all praise and adoration to you for how you have saved us through all of this. May our hands not be idle or our minds as well, but may we always be engaged with understanding and loving you more as you have loved us. Be with us this day and this night. As we move ahead into another week, may we do your will always. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
so happy in Jesus, no language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of His presence with me doth continually dwell. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, His child and forever I am. His love is the theme of my song. His love is the theme of my song. His love is the theme of my song. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, His child and forever. Thank you for listening. Please click the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Bible readings taken from the NASB are copyrighted by the Lockman Foundation.